that washed my sins away. With three rusty nails, they nailed Jesus to the tree. The sun turned to darkness on that day. Was the day that Jesus died and the blood flowed from his side, the blood that washed my sins away. Jesus cried, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do, for they have strayed so far away. With three old rusty nails, they took Jesus' precious blood, the blood that washed my sins away. They laughed as he cried, Soldiers pierced his naked side, and his father turned his face away. They drove the nails so deep, spilled his blood, and made him weep. The blood that washed my sins away. The blood that washed my sins away. Thank you, Brother Vance. We want to invite our children, second grade, and going back to Children's Church. Miss Kathleen is at the back door waiting for you. Second grade and below. All right, if you have a Bible or something that opens up a Bible, please open up to Luke chapter 19. And we're actually going to be in two different places this morning. And so uh, once you find Luke chapter 19, verse 29, put a finger or a marker or something there and then uh, flip over to Matthew 21 because that's where I'll be going. Luke 19, Matthew 21, verses 10 through 11. While you're finding your place, I want to invite you to a couple, couple different things help me out with. We have these postcards we had made up uh, for Easter, and we were going to mail a bunch of them, but uh, we underestimated the cost of what it would cost to mail them, and so I'm going to ask you instead, church, to do me a favor. We've got them packaged up into groups of five, and at the close of the service, if you'll grab one of those and just pass them out to somebody, and this will help you out in the whole emphasis we were doing, uh, the each one bring one, or each one reach one. Uh, asking you, each of you, to bring one person to church on Easter Sunday. And, you know, you may say, well, why Easter Sunday? And that's because many people are thinking about what the resurrection was. They're, they're wondering about what Easter is all about. And uh, that's kind of the point of the, the, the postcard, Have You Heard? And it's got this little kid in Easter bunny ears and what the Easter story is really about. It's not about Easter eggs. It's not about Easter bunnies. 
Uh, it's nothing of that nature. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the hope and promise of our resurrected life when we believe and trust in Him as our Lord and Savior. And we want to make sure that people hear that message. And so if they don't have a church they're going to on Easter Sunday, we want to invite them. Uh, I'm also going to ask you next Saturday to meet me up here between the hours of 10 to 12 and go do a little door-to-door uh, passing that out. I actually did some of that yesterday. Uh, I met some nice individuals, met some not-so-nice dogs, but had a, a great time, me, myself, and I, passing those out. And I want to invite you to help me out next Saturday doing that from 2 to 12. And I may do a little bit of it this week as well, so if you've got some free time on your hands, I, I invite you to come with me uh, and do that this week. Well, Luke chapter 19. Starting in verse 29, and uh, we're looking at the triumphal entry this, this morning. Verse 29, And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it, thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Verse 35, then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and in glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I want you to flip now over to Matthew chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, just to conclude this scripture reading. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for its power, for its presence in my life through the years. And Lord, how it has changed me, how it has molded me. I believe I could even be so bold to say that how it has grown me. And Lord, any growth is not of my own doing, it is through the power of your word and the power of your presence in my life. And Father, I believe that presence is, is in this place right now. And I, I don't have to invite you into this place. You're already here. And so, Lord, I'm just praying instead that, that Lord, you would have a profound effect on all of us here in this place. And we, we call on that. We, we ask for that, Lord, because my words are meaningless without you and your presence and your power. Lord, this sermon is meaningless without the basis of truth in your gospel. And so, Lord, we are desperately in need of you. Not me, not my words, but we are in desperate need of you. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would get me out of the way and get anything distracting us this morning out of the way so that we could listen 
to what you have to say to us through your word. Father, that you would have such a profound effect on our lives that we would not walk out of this place the same way we walked in. And it's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So this is the consummation of Jesus' ministry. It's coming up anyway, I should say. The moment on the cross is about a week away. And the hardest portion of his life's work is just ahead of him. You know, all throughout his time of ministry, Jesus had requested for those that he taught, those that he had done miracles for, those that he healed, he would always request of them, don't go tell anybody. Don't don't go tell anybody who I am. Don't reveal who, who I am. And this was done in part because of his humility, but also because as he states many times in the Gospels, my time has not yet come. Because he knew that when his identity was fully revealed, it would then release a chain of events that would begin, that would lead to his being elevated, not to a throne, but to the cross. And he knew there was a pinpoint perfect moment for this. And it wasn't until his father, God the Father, was ready for that moment to occur, that Jesus would be ready for that moment to occur. And he knew this was the case because this was the foreordained plan of God before the, before the foundations of the world were laid. And that's what he was going with. And so what we see on Palm Sunday, that's what today is. What we see on the triumphal entry is we see a, a major shift. We would say a paradigm shift, but a major shift in the philosophy of Jesus' ministry. One of anonymity, one of lowly in nature, one of humility, one of recognition and not only receiving the praises of mankind, but encouraging their praises as we read Jesus rebuking the Pharisees' rebuke of him when he says, Teacher, calm down your disciples. And he says, No, 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 let them praise. What they're praising is worthy of praise. This is such an interesting story for me. And one of these days, I want to spend just a whole sermon talking about the whole fetching of the donkey scene. In fact, I was joking with Northea, I'm not going to say what I said to her, but I told her I want to call this, are you a donkey, except I was going to use the old King James version of the word, and she said, you know, somebody's going to get offended, but you know, there's, there's just this beautiful moment as you see all these people's willingness to serve Jesus. You've got the people uh, fetching the donkey, you've got the donkey itself, you've got the people willing to loan the donkey, and to me there's a little bit of humor in this, because as he sends the disciples into the next village, I mean... You know, donkeys were used back then as a form of transportation. And so if this was 2018, you could almost imagine Jesus here in Colmenil saying, Hey, Vance, if I could pick on you for a second, I want you to go down to Doucette, and you're going to find a brand new car that's never been driven with the keys in it. And I want you to get it, and I want you to bring it, not to me, but to Jesus, okay? And he says, Now if the owners tell you, What are you doing with my brand new car? Tell them, The Lord needs it. <laughs> I wonder if I could try that over at Lakeside Chevrolet in Jasper. The Lord needs it. No. But uh, it's just this, this amazing, and, and there's also this, there's a really interesting, I think, a, 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 a scenario in there where we see the Lord preparing what he asks his people to do in service of him. But that's a whole other sermon, and I don't have enough time to get in there. And so here go the disciples into the next town to fetch the colt. And Matthew's gospel, recording this episode, has them fetching not only the colt, but the, but the mother of the colt also. We didn't read that, but you can look in Matthew chapter 21, verses 4 through 5, and, uh, and, and, and before that it talks about them not only getting the colt, but the mother of the colt. 
the donkey. And, and what Jesus is doing when he does this is he is aligning himself with prophetic scriptures. In fact, Matthew chapter 21 tells this, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, which is a, a repeat. It's a, a requote of Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9 was a word of prophecy that God gave to the people of Israel when they were struggling after this great return from the Chaldean or the Babylonian or Persian Empire. I'm trying to remember which empire it was. After seven years, 70 years of captivity, they had been sent back to Jerusalem. And, and I tell you what, they were having a hard time of it. They were oppressed, depressed, and their economy was repressed. And so God gives them this prophecy of a coming king who is going to be wonderful. And that's what this prophecy is. By the way, it was 500 years before Jesus would actually ride in on the colt of the donkey. And so the telling of this story in Matthew and in all the Gospels includes the fact that Jesus told them to bring the mother of the colt, which also connects him to a prophetic blessing in Genesis 49, 11, where uh, Je uh, Jacob is laying his hands on his 12 sons and giving them their tribal blessings, blessings. And when he blesses the tribe of Judah, one of the things he says to them is a blessing about, uh, about a, a coming king who would not release the scepter and he would ride in with a colt and his, and his mother. Anyway, go back and read in Genesis 49 about that blessing, specifically verse 11. But it brings up to this question of Matthew chapter 21, verse 10, this question, who is this? You know, as the people of Jerusalem are seeing all this hubbub coming down the hill of the Mount of Olives, they're asking this question, who is this? Who is that everyone is shouting about? Who is this that is riding on a donkey? Who is this that descends upon Jerusalem? And the Gospel of Matthew tells us the multitudes responded, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And that's a great answer. I mean, ding, 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 give him a prize, winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's the right answer. But to everyone present... And to everyone today, I would, I would guarantee you what that answer means is completely different for who you're talking to. Because it all comes down to your perspective. And we've talked a few times about how our perspective really needs to shift to God's perspective. And so we have a messed up outlook on what God is supposed to be doing for us when we have a messed up perspective of who God is. And there's a little bit of messed up perspective in the people that are in this scene. And I think it relates to us. And just bear with me as I go through these different perceptions or these perspectives. The first one is the disciples. The disciples' uh, perception. You could, you could have a disciple's perception. Now, the word disciple in the Bible means follower. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're a born-again believer or they're a believer at all. It just means that they're following this guy. And Jesus had a lot of followers. And it would, that number would ebb and flow, you know. He would have hundreds, thousands, and then 12, and then 11. And so they perceived this about Jesus, that he was the Son of God. That maybe perhaps he was indeed the Christ, the long-awaited one. But acknowledgement of who he was does not necessarily mean they understood what he was doing there. And this is seen because when he starts talking about death, they deny this. They don't want anything to do with his death talk. It's seen in the fact that just before the moment of Jesus' entry, some of the disciples had even been arguing about who would be the greatest in his coming kingdom. 
In fact, at one point during his ministry, they argued who would be on his right and left when he was lifted high. They thought he was going to be lifted high to a throne, and he was like, you don't know what you're asking. And we know now, living on this side of the cross, there were two thieves lifted to his right and two to his left. It's seen in the other of the disciples arguing who would, who would be at his right hand. They expected him, they expected him to be made king over Israel. Luke records that as they drew near to Jerusalem, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Now, that's a good thing to do. But I kind of wonder, what if their whole reason for that, what if their motivation was completely messed up? That instead of trying to draw attention to how great and wonderful their Savior was, they were kind of barking attention to him like a sideshow a, a, a feature at a, at a carnival. You can almost imagine this, right? Behold, the one who heals the lame, the blind, and the sick. Behold, the one who calms storms and walks on the sea. Behold, the one that took just a few loaves and a couple of fish and fed thousands and thousands. Behold, the one who in fact raised Lazarus from the dead. Step right up, step right up and come see the amazing Jesus as he comes in to Jerusalem. You can understand their thinking. I mean, they have been wallowing in poverty and, and, and just in a, in a kind of a lowly state of affairs for years. And now here they are, they're descending from the Mount of Olives. They're looking down towards Jerusalem. Perhaps the sun is gleaming off of the shining buildings, jewels in the, in the temple. They're seeing the, the city busting at the seams because it's the time of the Passover and the, the, the city would have been packed with people. And they're thinking, this is it. This is the moment. This is when we get Jesus up to the crowd. Their teacher had been talking about depressing things like his, his sacrifice and his death. Just the day before, Mary had broken a perfume jar and poured it over his head. And he made this statement, she's preparing me for burial. And they're like, what? Come on, you're going to be the king, right? Surely not, Jesus. You have so much potential. Maybe they're even thinking. Perhaps at that moment, some of them thought, here's our chance. Here's our chance to make him king, because if the guy we're following raises to greatness, guess what? His followers get raised to greatness. I wonder sometimes if we think Jesus in our lives, or holding up Jesus, is some kind of salvation for our situation. Our situational sadness, maybe our political sadness, our economical sadness. Listen, he is a great rescuer from the bondage in our life, but his rescuing us from bondage may not be the bondage we think it is. You see, he is the great savior of our sin, not necessarily the great savior of our situational sadness. You might even say that these disciples were concerned with their health and their wealth and not so much with their need to be forgiven from sin. But see, that's exactly who he is. He's the Savior to save us from the sadness of our sin and the slavery of our sin. And so the question comes, who is he? Well, maybe you don't suffer with the disciples' perception. Maybe it's the Pharisees' perception. They're in the crowd too that, that afternoon or that morning. 
as Jesus is descending the Mount of Olives and everybody's singing his praises, they call out, Jesus, rebuke your followers. They, they were in control of the religious system of that time. They held heavy leverage over the people and caused those who were clamoring for Jesus eventually to fall away from their pressure. The Pharisees stood in judgment over Jesus and his followers, and it's obvious they did not believe the hype. It's obvious they didn't necessarily believe everything that Jesus was saying. They were not convinced necessarily about who Jesus was. You see that again in their response. They just call him teacher. They don't call him by his name. They certainly don't call him master. But I'm not going to tell you that the Pharisees were confused completely about who Jesus was. We've talked a little bit about this on Sunday nights as we've gone through the Gospel of John about how they knew, they knew who he was. They confirm a lot of times in the things that they say. I believe they saw his works, they heard his teachings, they may have even, some of them, been secretly, like Nicodemus, convinced that God indeed had sent him. But here, here is, it's hard for us really to capture the essence of Scripture, uh, the feelings, the, the moods, the, the tent and intense scenes that are in there. It's also hard for us to capture these moments because it's been translated uh, from one language to another language, and those languages don't always mesh. But the sense that we are often left with was that when Jesus taught, he taught with such an innate, such an uh, uh, unbelievable power and boldness that people were just blown away. That they would, we, we, we hear this statement in the Gospels often, who is this that teaches with such power? People, there has never been a teacher like Jesus, and there will never be a teacher like Jesus. They were literally and figuratively blown away often by the things that he would say. So it's hard for me to believe that the, the, the Pharisees did not know who Jesus was, but that instead their rejection of him was deliberate, that her, their rejection of him was obtuse. They were just being obtuse to who he was. They didn't want to really accept this. They've got no respect for his obvious power and authority. And the, I believe the biggest reason for this was because he was a threat to the personal power and prestige that Jesus' appearance signified. Jesus was threatening their personal interests. You know what, this attitude exists today. Sometimes when I'm witnessing to somebody, they'll say, yeah, I, I believe that, but I'm just not ready yet. I'm not done having a little fun. I, I want to live life a little bit longer. I'm just going to wait longer in life before I believe that whole Jesus in church stuff. It's okay for you, but I'm going to hang on. And, you know, it doesn't really, I don't really have to do that right now. People reject the truth of Jesus because they're more interested in their having fun. Their personal little flesh party. I'm going to be honest with you. Giving your life over to Jesus Christ does mean an end to your own personal little flesh party. In other words, you can't, I mean, there's no way you can truly be born again and have a peace about you going out and doing whatever your flesh says. Let's go do, right? Because there's going to be a spiritual conviction from the inside out on you. People know that, and they don't want that, and so they reject it. And they don't reject the identity of Jesus, they reject his impact on the comfort of their personal sin life. I think it exists today. I think it's, 
I, not think, I know it exists today. And so the question comes for you, who is this? Somebody you just don't want to have cramp up your personal life right now? Save it for later? Then there are the people of Jerusalem. Perhaps they're in town for the very first time for the Passover, and they have a perception as well. This may have been the very first time, maybe the first time in years they had come back to Jerusalem. One of the few positive attributes of the Roman Empire was they were able to get some roads paved. They were able to uh, give some somewhat safe transport from one city to the next. If you were a law-abiding citizen, you could go from one town to the next. And so for many people, they were able to come to Jerusalem for the very first time. They may not have been around for Jesus' miracles. They may not have been around for Jesus' teachings. They really, literally did not know who this was. And so they're, they're hearing about this for the very first time. And so we can understand their confusion as they're milling about the marketplace, buying some souvenirs to take back to Uncle Joe, right? And they suddenly hear the crowd up on the Mount of Olives. And they see someone riding down on a donkey, and they hear all these people praising and shouting things. They hear this, this phrase, Hosanna, Hosanna, which literally means God save us. They go on and say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And this is straight from Psalm 108. And by the way, this is often tied into, in the Jewish culture, would be tied into a messianic prophecy as well. And so they're hearing this like, what? What is going on? You can almost imagine one elbow and another. Bob, what is going on up there? I don't know. I hear that. Are they saying king? What kind of king is this? And we could understand perhaps their confusion and why they would say, who is this? Because instead of a chariot, Jesus was riding in on a borrowed donkey. Instead of an ornate saddle, he was riding in on a makeshift seat of his disciples' cloaks. Instead of royal banners, his followers were waving broken off stems from palm trees. Instead of a red carpet, he was riding in on clothes on the ground and some of those same palm branches that had been broken off. Instead of his followers blowing triumphantly from their trumpets, they were just shouting things at the top of their voices. What kind of king is this? And so, literally, they were perhaps confused. You see this today, too. People are confused because the followers of Jesus are completely misleading them about who Jesus is. Follow this guy and he'll make your life great. Really? Your life ain't so great. Follow this guy and he'll clean everything up. Really? Your life ain't so clean, buddy. I'm a little confused about who you really think this guy is. Is he really king and lord of your life? Maybe you're here this morning and you're like hearing about him for the very, very first time. It's okay to be a little confused. I've been a believer for a very long time and there's still things about Jesus that I don't understand. Lord willing, he's growing me, getting me there. And so for them, the question was literally, who is this? But then we come to Jesus. Jesus didn't have a perception or a perspective. Jesus had a reality. Jesus was not confused about who he was. He was not overcome with delusions of grandeur. 
He knew exactly what the plan was. He knew who he was, and he knows who he still is. He understood what time had now come about. You see, he chose that donkey for two reasons. I already told you one, so that he would align himself with the Old Testament prophecies that had been told about him hundreds and even thousands of years before. But he also chose the donkey because of what it represented. You see, when a king would make a grand entry into a city, the type of animal they rode on would represent what their entry represented. If you rode on a horse or some sort of stallion or something, it meant that you were bringing war. A donkey was humility and peace. Humility and peace. And Jesus' first entry into our lives is one of humility and one of peace. Now, there's coming a day when he's going to come back on a stallion with a a sword drawn, and he will be the victorious warrior that they wanted him to be there. But that's not how he's entering into our lives right now. And the entry that he brought into Jerusalem so many thousands of years ago is the same entry he is offering today, one of humility and one of peace. What is this peace about? I don't know if you realize it or not, but when we sin, we are technically declaring war against God. We are at odds with Him. And what Jesus promises is a peace with God through the shed blood. That shed blood on the cross was the anointing, if you will, and the resurrection from the grave was the confirmation of the peace that He was bringing. The peace that we long for with God was granted to us by God. Who is this? Well, he is the king who is offering his peace to whoever will submit and believe in him as Savior and Lord. Listen, you can't get more humble and peaceful than a donkey. Not only a donkey, but the colt of a donkey. That means the child never before ridden on. And there's other aspects about this peace, but... This is the primary purpose that I want to talk about, this peace that Jesus Christ brings for us that we can enjoy with God the Father if we will submit to Him as Lord and Savior. We can't have it without Him. When people say, you need to make peace with God, there's only one way to make peace with God. It is through Jesus Christ. And that's it. Have you discovered that peace? But Jesus also knows that He is God. When the Pharisees rebuke him and tell him to rebuke his disciples for shouting his praises to his name, hear how Jesus responds again there in, in, verse, in verse 40. I, I, let me just read that again for you. He says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Because he knows that he is fully God and that God always desires and deserves the praises of people. His people any people. He desires and he deserves them. You know, I've, I've known this scripture for a, a really long time, this idea that if humanity uh, d- d- decides that we're no longer going to praise God, the rocks would cry out. And there's a, just a little easy-peasy part of me. I've always wanted to hear the rocks cry out. I mean, talk about rock music, right? That, okay, I thought that was funny in, in my mind. I, even, I think I even put it on there. Yeah, talk about rock music, right? Rock music for the rock, okay. Uh, But most of me, the majority of me, I want no part of that. Because if the rocks cry out, that means that people have stopped crying out and praising who God is. 
And even more than hearing rock music, I want to hear more and more people become worshipers of God through Jesus Christ. I want more and more people to recognize the greatness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't want a rock to take my place. Do you want a rock to take your place? Thank you. Well, that scared me for a moment. So I ask you, I know when we do those questions that you think are rhetorical and we're like, well, aren't you going to say anything? It catches me off guard. So I ask you, who is this to you? Is he God? Is he Savior? Is he someone to save you from your situational sadness? Someone to give you the health and wealth you've thought you desired and deserved? Is he just some guy that you're trying to put off because you know it's going to cramp your sinful lifestyle? Or are you just completely confused? We don't want you to be confused about who this is. He is the God of the universe, and he is the Savior of the world who came and died on the cross, who rose again. And we're going to be celebrating that next week. And like Vance said, we don't need to wait till next week. We can celebrate it every week. But man, we celebrate the fact that he is not a dead Savior sitting in a grave somewhere, but he rose again. And because of that, we can believe the promise of everlasting life when we confess him and submit to him as Lord and Savior. And so I'll just leave you one more time with that question. Who is this Jesus to you? Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your scripture. We thank you, Father, for just speaking to us. Lord, I pray that you did speak to us. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to make this appeal to you this morning. We're going to have a time of response uh, for you to respond however the Lord may be leading you. And if you have never made that decision to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, we want to invite you to come up here and you know, talk to me. I'm up here and I'd be happy to answer any questions you have. Uh, if you just want us to pray with you, you can do that. But you don't have to come forward to make some sort of response either. You can stand right there in, in, in your pew area and, and talk to God. He hears us even when we're all talking to him at the same time. Maybe your life hasn't just really been, been a reflection of who this is, Lord and Savior. And you want to make that decision this morning to reflect more of who he is, Lord and Savior of your life. And we just, we just pray you would respond to however the Holy Spirit, however you may be being tugged on your heart this morning. Father, again, we thank you for being here. We pray, Lord, that you would just speak to each and every one of us and that, Lord, we would not leave this place until we've done business with you in some way. And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?